We've got some big news to tell you about from our partners at Conservative Review. It's CRTV, a brand new commercial-free digital network featuring Mark Levin, Michelle Malkin, and Mark Stein. You get all of this content anywhere you go, your laptop, tablet, cell phone, or even on Roku or Apple TV. And you can have all of this programming for a year for only $89 if you sign up before December 1st at CRTV.com. But to get that special price, you've got to use my name at the checkout, Dace. That's D-E-A-C-E. So go to CRTV.com and sign up today. Levin, Malkin, Stein, all for $89 a year. If you go to CRTV.com today and use the promo code Dace. All right, before we get started with this podcast, we need to talk about something. Friends, it, it feels like the whole world can literally change for the worse overnight. You're following the news stories. With what's likely coming for our country, there is one thing you should do, and that's prepare. When you're more self-reliant, you're closer to freedom from any national crisis or job loss or economic downturn. But where do you start, and who can you trust? Let me make this clear. Building an emergency food supply to feed yourself and your family is a wise first step. And our friends at My Patriot Supply will help you prepare. Get four weeks emergency food supply for only $99, shipped free. That's 140 adult servings of easy-to-prepare food ordered today, 888-457-3453, 888-457-3453, or go online at preparewithcr.com. That's preparewithcr.com. Build your emergency food supply for only $99. Limit two units per caller, 888-457-3453, or online at preparewithcr.com. That's 888-457-3453, or at preparewithcr.com. All right, now let's get to the podcast. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker. That is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. Happy Friday here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. It is our final show here on Salem. They have been a tremendous partner for us the last 15 months. We are very, very grateful, but also excited about the opportunity that awaits us to join CRTV, the outstanding team there with Mark Levin, Mark Stein, Michelle Malkin, and Stephen Crowder. Beginning February 27th, I was looking over some of the preliminary production, some of the new intros and the uh, graphics uh, this morning before we uh, did our show here tonight, and excited. Uh, Getting pumped up, but uh, of course it takes time to build new sets and those sorts of things, so after we sign off here tonight, we will bid adieu for the next 10 days and then return with the debut of the new and hopefully just as not improved. Uh, Steve Day Show coming up on February the 27th. Go to CRTV.com. Get your subscription in now. Use promo code DACE. Do not miss an episode. Trust me, if you have not been thoroughly entertained by this show the last 15 months, you will not be thoroughly entertained by what is to come either. 
So I want to begin with a postscript, folks. Kim is here tonight because we have the Day Group Roundtable coming up next hour, so we have a full house here in studio. I want to begin with uh, something that's been a reoccurring conversation throughout the course of this week, the Trump presidency off the rails. On purpose, we did not do a lot about Trump's presser last night. Because the reality is, it's an inkblot. It's a, it's a Rorschach test. I mean, I was fascinated watching it unfold on my Twitter account yesterday afternoon. Watching two groups of people both calling themselves conservatives. Forget, forget what the Washington Post and New York Times and Huffington Post think. I was just watching with people who we would be more in alignment with their thinking. And it was like two groups of people both calling themselves conservatives thought they were watching two totally different things. Right? And, and on purpose, I did not watch it live. I've seen some of the clips because I also didn't want my own personal. I've had to learn this with Trump. I have to, I've had to learn that I have my own handicap in that the way he articulates and communicates either, either annoys me or offends me greatly. And I, and I can't allow that too much to factor in to my own analysis of what I think the outcome of what he is saying will ultimately be. Certainly, I recommend some seg- I, I represent some segment of the population, otherwise we wouldn't be on the air. But I don't represent the population. See what I'm trying to say? So I'm finding myself, is I, I, I'm becoming, I think, a better analyst by not consuming as much of it so that I immediately just don't have, who the hell talks like this, sort of reaction and think that that is... That's actually what's happening here the whole time, when it's clearly not. So I waited until today, because I wanted to see what the fallout was. Now, make no mistake, what happened yesterday was not was unhinged, not presidential, not dignified, beneath the dignity of the office. In fact, it was a setback for the species as a whole. That being said, politically, I believe it worked. What is not being discussed today? General Flynn. First time in a week and a half not being talked about. In fact, we're not even talking about the embarrassment that last night uh, the person that Trump selected to succeed General Flynn turned him down. That's not in the news either. Out of the news. Trump's lo- losing his labor secretary this week. Not in the news. In fact, you don't even know who. Do, do you even know the name of the guy he appointed to replace him? Can you think of it off the top of your head? Anybody in the studio? No. No. It's Acosta. And I only know the name because it, because that's the CNN the reporter. Person. That's yeah. the CNN reporter that Trump hates. Same name, just different guy. All right, but but that's my point. We all are informed. We do this for a living. We couldn't recall his name off. See where I'm going with this? What happened yesterday, as dismal as it was to watch, and yeah, I I get that he's trolling this industry and they deserve it. When I, when I see stuff like Chuck Todd at NBC News saying it's not right for a president to delegitimize the press, a president cannot delegitimize the press, guys. He just can't. No president can. A, a, a free press cannot be forcibly delegitimized. They have to welcome the delegitimization. They have to be a willing participant, for they are a free press. If you are a free press, you cannot be forcibly conscripted by government into some corner with a dunce cap. You have to say, oh, I'll walk over there. It's a nice corner. I'll stay. You have to do this on your own, guys. The press is a willing participant in its own delegitimization. Trump is just it's just banging on it because he needed a slump buster. And that's why I think it worked. As uncomfortable and undignified as it was to watch at times. But it reset the narrative. And that's that's the... 
they needed to reset the narrative on Monday. We're sitting here Friday night. Better late than never. What happened is Trump needed to stop the momentum that was spiraling against him. So what did he do? Calls an impromptu press conference, says he's going to take two or three questions, stands there for 45 minutes, and just disembowels these people. One, I think he needed it on a personal level. I think he just needed a pick-me-up. That's why I opened the show last night. What did I tell him to do? Just start firing people. You need to man up. So I think he just needed to get his groove back. I think he get some swag. So I, I think I, that's why I think he just stuck around, just you know, taking some extra batting practice yesterday. And that changed the narrative. The momentum that was working against him is now completely stalled. The analogy I would use, it's a basketball game. I watched my Wolverines take on your Badgers last night, Todd. Yeah, that went well. Started the second half. I'm thinking, oh, we're in trouble. Wisconsin scores eight straight points. John Beeline calls a timeout, draws up a play, so Michigan get an easy basket just to stop the momentum. Now, when Michigan got that basket and stopped the momentum, was that an eight-point basket? No, it was a two-point basket. So Wisconsin still led by six, if my math is right, correct? But, so Michigan still needed to play in a way that they could sustain that momentum to go on and win the game. But that possession helped to change the momentum around to give them a chance to sustain some momentum. And that's what that press conference did for yesterday for Trump. He was getting rolled. Crowds against him. Officials are against him. He's playing poorly. Calls a timeout. Draws up a play. Says to his team, hold my beer. Watch this. I'm going to go in there and I'm just going to lean on these uh, these press fools for about 20 minutes. Ends up being 45. Okay. Uh, and And... We got a key possession. We scored a basket. Everybody set back down. Crowd's kind of not, you know, relaxed. The team's like, okay, we're still in this. Okay. He's going to probably have to do this a lot in his presidency. One, the press is going to allow it because they seem to be irrevocably broken. They, they just seemingly don't want to be fixed. We'll talk more about that later tonight, too. Secondly, just Trump's persona, how undisciplined and everything else he is, he's going to go off the rails a lot. And so he's going to need to do this to reset himself as much as the narrative. But I don't believe this can work as a four-year reality show. Because I don't think the average American cares. I don't think the average American is in Trump cult. And I don't think the average American is sitting around on pins and needles waiting for the next uh, progressive propaganda machine to churn out a talking point for Sally Khan. I think most Americans just want their jobs want Obamacare to not continue to make their health care so damn expensive and want to know that we're going to kill Islamic radicals at the border before they cross it. I just think that's what most Americans want. And in the end, Trump's ability to perform on those three areas are going to decide whether this is successful or not, not how entertaining the show is. People in the, you know, the mob is fickle. After they love watching Maximus and his team of gladiators dismember their opposition in the arena until they've seen it all before. And then they want a new bread and circus. You know, let's put Commodus. Let's put the emperor in the arena. I need something else. I, I've, I did that. Watch that one. Saw that movie already. I need more bread and circus. So this is not a substitute, I don't believe, for governing. But it's better than where they stood 24 hours ago. I don't think there's any question about that. It did politically work. But he's got to get back to his promise keeping. You know, the first couple weeks of his administration, he was actually in a pretty good role with keeping promises. 
Where's the repeal of DACA? Why isn't he publicly leaning on Congress? I want to see President Trump on Twitter tomorrow morning say, put the damn Obamacare repeal bill on my desk Monday. Or get out. How how long does it take to type the word repeal into a statute and put it on my desk? He's got to get back into the promise-keeping business. I think the American people, well, a segment, probably enough for him to get reelected, are willing to let him have as much fun as he wants to have in there. Doing a law knows what. Provided he does the things I just talked about. But when the show gets in the way of what they want, they will turn on him and harsh, and they will not turn back. So yes, yesterday worked, but no, it is not a substitute for actually governing. And they got to get back to being serious about that. You're listening to Steve Dace. This is the show your atheist college professor warned you about. This is Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review, here on the Salem Radio Network. Yesterday, more than a shot was fired across the bow of the Bill of Rights and the Constitution by the Washington State Supreme Court. And uh, joining us now to tell us about that, Michael Ferris, uh, the head of Alliance Defending Freedom. It's good to have you on the show, my friend. How are you? Steve, it is great to be with you. So Baron L. Stutzman, who I've had the pleasure to meet uh, and to interview, is really just the quintessential old Christian, sweet old Christian woman. I wouldn't harm a soul. Uh, she has served a clientele with her florist business for several years out there in Washington State, including uh, the two gentlemen that are in question in this particular instance. Everything that's ever been asked of her, she's every service she's happily supplied uh, in exchange for their end of the transaction. One day they ask her to perform a service for their service, which violates her moral conscience. She says no, recommends somebody else that would do a tremendous job for them. And now comes the coercive force of government to say, you will be made to care. They threatened her livelihood, her home, her business, everything. And the Washington State Supreme Court heard her appeal yesterday, Michael, and what happened? The court ruled that uh, Barnell violated the state law and that the Constitution of the United States and the state of Washington, neither one, provided her a protection. It was not a freedom of speech issue. It was not a freedom of religion issue. It is not a freedom of association issue, according to, to that court. Uh, they mangled it uh, in, in some respects from a technical legal perspective, but uh, the overall perspective of the state of Washington here and the ACLU, who are the people that are on the attack against Baronell, is that people who disagree with their same-sex message simply don't have constitutional rights that are, are going to be protected. It's really a, a very simple um, toggle switch in their mind. You you will come to uh, uh, celebrate our same-sex weddings or you will pay. That's the position of the Attorney General. That's the position of the ACLU and the Supreme Court of Washington sided with them yesterday. 
One of the things some of our uh, progressive friends, or or, uh, maybe just people don't understand our arguments, they might listen to what we just said and say, hey, the state of Washington, this is the law. The court upheld the law. You guys always say you want originalism. You want textualism. You don't want courts striking down laws made by elected officials. So what's your problem with this? I think we need to make sure that we remind people that the ultimate law here in this country is the Constitution. Uh, and the first and the very First Amendment protects the very first of our freedoms. And states don't have the authority to make statutes that override constitutionally endowed and protected liberties. That's the point we're trying to make here. It's exactly right. The principle of higher law. Uh, in, the, in the Constitution, it, it, the Supremacy Clause tells us the answer. It is the supreme law of the land. And, and so the, uh, when the First Amendment says that we have freedom of speech, it means the government cannot tell us what we cannot say or what we can say. Now, there are very limited exceptions to that. But here, the, the ability of the government to coerce speech should be at the very highest level of protection. Uh, it's one thing to say, well, you can't, you know, the, the, the old example, you can't yell fire uh, in a crowded theater. But to, for the government to force you to say something, it, it's like when they tried to force Jehovah Witnesses to salute the flag. And the Supreme Court of the United States at that time finally got it right and said, you know, if there's any fixed star in our constitutional constellation, is that the government can't coerce people to profess belief in something that they don't believe. And Baron L. Stutzman did not believe that she should stand up at a wedding and give her consent, give her blessing to a same-sex wedding. Uh, the way she does her flower business, not only does she create special flowers using her artistic abilities, which is pure speech, but it, moreover, she attends the weddings that uh, um, she services. She she goes there. She helps plan. She she provides a variety of services, and you know she's being coerced to join a celebration that for her is not a celebration. For those who say, well, you guys want to discriminate against discriminate against a certain people that you don't like. The reality here is the one being discriminated against is her. She has provided services for people regardless of their moral behaviors or lack thereof, their religious beliefs, for how many years through her business. This is the same as when a business posts a sign that says no shoot, no no shoes, no shirt, no service. Or when fashion designers say, I don't want to do I don't want to do dresses for uh, Melania Trump's uh, inaugural gown. I don't want to I don't want Nordstrom's. I don't want to support Ivanka Trump's clothing line. You have a right with your business to say providing this service violates my conscience. And that was the issue here. She had served these particular homosexual clients for several years. The service they were asking her to perform is what crossed the line and what the state said here is, your conscience is not your own. It belongs to the state. I don't know anything fundamentally more un-American than that, Michael. Um, I fully agree. And the uh, uh, the facts even you know give a, a richer texture to it. The, uh, Baronel and the gentleman who made the request actually hugged each other at the end of their conversation. And he went away satisfied that, you know, she was doing the right thing by her. And uh, um, somebody else got a hold of these people and convinced them that this needed to become a cause celebre. And the ACLU had a team of 11 lawyers uh, fighting this woman over a $7 case. That, that's what they ended up suing for, was $7. Mm-hmm. Now, there are civil fines on top of it and hundreds of thousands of dollars in attorney's fees. But all they're asking for, uh, for, the, for their clients, 
is seven dollars uh, the, the travel cost to go drive to another florist um, and so this really isn't about protecting those people this is about enriching the coffers of the aclu and punishing civil fines against a woman that will go to the state of washington to uh, you know fund their their vendetta against christian people um, you know, when the Supreme Court ruled same-sex marriage to be a constitutional right, which, of course, I disagree with entirely, Justice Kennedy said, well, of course, we're not going to violate people's consciences in this regard. Well, that's being tested right now. And so far, um, this is, you know, uh, one of a couple of cases where the courts have got it wrong. And we're in a real um, need for the Supreme Court of the United States to take this case and to reverse the decision of not only this court, but the whole line of precedent that's starting to develop. So what happens now? What happens next here? Uh, we uh, are Baronell's attorneys, and we're appealing her case to the Supreme Court of the United States. That's a process that takes about 90 days uh, to do all that. And uh, then sometime after that, uh, perhaps even next fall, because we're getting, you know, we'll, by the time the 90 days runs and all of all the paperwork gets in, uh, we'll be close to the end of the of the court's term for this year. So it may be next fall before they tell us whether or not they're going to take the case. If they take the case, then it will be set for oral argument and briefing and all of that. And probably next spring, you'd be getting a decision from the Supreme Court. This is. I mean, the decision here, obviously, this is a precedent that uh, even if the Supreme Court gets this wrong, uh, just can't be allowed to stand on on, on any kind of level. Uh, and the other two branches of government here have got to step in and do their job uh, to enforce and interpret the Constitution as well. Not to mention, Michael, I'm a little flabbergasted to hear the ACLU has standing to sue Baronel Stutzman in Washington State. Um, but the people of California had no standing before the Supreme Court to stand up for their own duly elected referendum protecting marriage. That sounds to me like the fix is in kind of stuff, but that's the world we live in today. Thank you, Michael. We appreciate it. Thanks, Steve. Good to be with you. Good to be with you. We'll have some reaction to what you just heard here in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. Hunting rhinos into extinction. The Steve Day Show. Get some, re- get some reaction to what we just heard from Michael Ferris from Alliance Defending Freedom about the Baronel Stutzman case. And the point I made there at the end is not a trivial point. Courts are granting jurisdiction and standing to groups that are not even party to the dispute to essentially allow the ACLU to use the courts on you and I's dime, by the way, to fund their their leftist jihad. And they give them standing to make these lawsuits, even though they're not even a party to the transaction that went on. In the meantime, the same courts told the people of California that seven and a half million of them voted to give to define marriage as a man and a woman in the state constitution. By the way, that is more votes than any Republican has ever received statewide in California history. Seven and a half million votes. They told seven and a half million voters on Obergefell and Windsor in the last couple of years, you don't have any standing. Yeah, you guys voted to uh, by referendum, but you have no standing before the court, so we can just overrule you without you having a say. That is not due process. That is complete tyranny, oligarchy, regardless of your position on the definition of marriage or not. 
That is not a trivial point to make. And this case is not trivial either. The Washington State Supreme Court is literally saying the Constitution, it's not even a living, breathing document now, Todd. It's just dead. Yeah, that's why you, you you made the case, I believe it was yesterday, about how you know Donald Trump just needs to man up. Well, a similar case needs to be made now going forward about the Constitution. That, that's what's really on trial here. Baroness, I, I mean, I, and I in no way want to minimize what she's going through. She's a hero. But that's where we are. If we are just going to just be so blasé about the First Amendment of this Constitution, that's what needs to be addressed with these. What are we doing here? What is the point of this? You sitting there in your robes, us coming in, coming to trial? Is this paper have any meaning whatsoever? We, we protect it in a bomb-proof case, for God's sakes. Why? Because it doesn't seem to matter. It seems to look like it matters to us at all, unless we say this woman's conscious and the the conscience of the person who believes the opposite will be protected. And you made a very good point, Steve. The, the aggrieved parties here lost nothing. Nothing was taken away from them. But something is absolutely being taken away from Baron Sussman. That's not in dispute. Kim. Well, you know, on a larger issue, you're describing lawlessness. I mean, you called it judicial tyranny. Absolutely. On a, you know, on a personal practical, what you're looking at, and this is really well done on the Alliance Defending Freedom website, but they talk about your your conscience and the fact that you're going to be given a choice. Either you conform or you're going to suffer the consequence. So you're looking at all these small businesses, whether you're a photographer, filmmaker, they describe, or T-shirt printers. You're going to have to decide. Are you going to conform? Or are you going to just get ready for the ACLU to become you know, a party to a lawsuit against you? This is the same argument that Christendom has faced in every country it's ever been in since Christ ascended into heaven. Ultimately, is it Kaiser Curious or is it Christos Curious? Is is, Kai, is 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 Caesar Lord? Is the state Lord or is Jesus Lord? This is not a new argument. Okay, we have been having this argument with worldly governments for two thousand years, and we'll have them for another ten years, twenty thousand years, two thousand years until Christ returns. But Aaron, this is a new argument for this government, for this country, yep. because this was a country that was actually founded on the fact, uh, on on the recognition that Caesar is not Lord. We have no king but Jesus. And so I think that is something that is new for us as a people. And that's exactly where I was going, because in our system of government, the only out of the three branches of government at the federal level, the only one that uh, is not elected uh, is the judicial branch. That's that that's that's why this is so dangerous. And when our overlords refuse to read the Constitution, refuse to um, uh, to uh, grant their to to give their opinions in line with the uh, Constitution and our employees will not do anything about it. Eventually, we the bosses, the, the the people who send our representatives to office, are going to have to do this someday. I mean, first they'll come for the florists, and then they'll come for the bakers. Eventually, they're going to come for all of us. But the question is, when that time comes, when they come for the Steve Daces and the Tottersons and Kim Pearsons of the world, at that time. Will we have enough standing left to be able to do anything about it in our legal system? And I think the answer to that question is no. What we need for this case to amount to is a new Edict of Milan. Constantine, yeah, after 350 years of Christian persecution, just saying, uh uh-uh, no more. It's not happening. He didn't give them special treatment, 
but they were not going to be poached and persecuted uniquely anymore. Here and no further. That's a good point. And I think it should also be pointed out what the end game of this is. If, If your conscience doesn't belong to you or God, but the state... Then you have then, none. Then you have yes. none. And neither, by the way, does that God grant you your rights, but the state does. And the state now is God and becomes all-powerful. You're listening to Steve Dace. Don't blame us. He went to public school. This is Steve Dace. So I've been getting questions. Are you holding over Mike Woody? Is he going with you to the new CRTV show when it debuts on February 27th? And like uh, like uh, uh, an STD, like a bad rash, Mike Woody will not be gotten rid of. He will be heard I cannot get rid of him. I mean, I've tried not paying him to do this for pretty much the last 15 years. Not even that has worked. Uh, Apparently, he just loves to troll me on a weekly basis. So, yes, Mike Woody will be here with the salt and pepper beard that you'll actually get to see now when we debut uh, in a couple of weeks here on CRTV. Dude, I don't know anything about this. I, I have not given permission for this. Then never mind. Forget everything I just said. Mike, it's going to be a shame that this is the last show after 15 years. It's been a great ride. Let's go out with a bang, shall we? Todd, could you hand me a a tissue? (laughs) (laughs) You're all choked up. See, here I thought this. I, I thought I was going to be stuck with him, and I, I just You're found out. You're saying there's a chance. I didn't have to be. He, he, he might have left this time. He might have taken his stapler and gone home. You know, I started on TV, and now I'm going back to TV. You I are. I don't know. You are going back to TV. Yes. We're gonna have to renegotiate. So we have one movie to review this week. Right. Because there is one movie to rule them all. It is really the first event film, I guess we would call it, of 2017. And that is Lego Batman, a merging of two stellar money-printing <laughs> franchises, Batman and Lego. They just had your name on this film, didn't they? Now, sometimes, though, when you when you merge, you know, like chocolate and mint, and chocolate and peanut butter is a good merge. Sometimes, though, when you put two things that are so distinct in their own right together, it doesn't work. So, Mike, does no. it work? Well, now, clearly, you've seen this movie, so I, I don't care what you think about it. I want to hear Noah's voice. Come on, let's, let's give me that. That, was, that movie was great. <laughs> That's what Noah thought. <laughs> you know what? I, that, movie, I, that movie was hilarious. I think I agree with Noah. I think this movie was all, just a lot of fun. Is it a great movie? Absolutely not. Listen, the screen was going to have to melt 15 minutes in for a 10-year-old boy that is my son with my DNA That's not true. to think Lego Batman is a great movie. The screen would have to melt. <laughs> I, You know what? I, I thought it was fun. I, I mean, it's just... It's not a great movie, but it is great fun. And and it is so well written, and it is written at multiple levels. Yes. So everybody sitting in the theater is going to get something out of it. I And I was surprised that it, it held its energy and held its humor for the entire duration. It's, it, it, I, it's an interesting film in that it is everything you thought it was going to be going in, and then it's more than you thought it was going to be, I thought, going in. I laughed out loud often. I did, too. In fact, I think it's an exceedingly clever film. I don't know that, you know, for me, you know, the last, the first film with the plot line with the dad and stuff, I mean, I thought that was more meaningful 
Yes. Okay. But this this is just. I mean, if you looked up popcorn movie in a dictionary, it would have the logo to this film. This film has more Easter eggs, Mike, I think, than any movie ever made. I'm wondering how many times you'd have to see it to get them all. I mean, it is so clever. It makes multiple references to every itineration of Batman in popular culture. Yes. Every every itineration in the movies, every version of it, from the opening credits. When he comes on and begins panning the companies. Oh, that that was just That's brilliant. really well done. I, I don't know what this company does. Yeah. They have who a weird are, name. Who are these people? They've got a great logo, though. Yeah. I mean, that's that's how the opening credits begins. Uh, I'm going to stay. Have you guys seen this yet? No. no. Oh, you've yes. got to see it. You've got Aaron, are we are we lying or uh, not? No. I actually saw this last weekend. I mean, you've got to get out and see it. And we know Aaron is a shut-in, right? <laughs> and he that's saw exactly it. right. That's been documented. Yes. Self-admitted shut-in. So he saw it. So you've got to see it. There's only one spoiler, because I've got to talk to you about this, Mike, because by the time we do this again, it's going to be like three weeks from now oh. with a new TV show. Okay? Again, I don't know anything about this, so... Well, then don't come back. Maybe you can maybe you can bring me up to speed after the show's over. Forget I said anything. But the password to the Batcave being Iron Man sucks... <laughs> When, when it Iron used Man, multiple times yeah, in the movie. And when Iron Man, because almost everything <laughs> in Marvel, for people that don't know, and I, I'm not like, I don't care Marvel or DC, I just like good stories, I'm a fanboy of superheroes. So I don't like, like one more than the other and troll the other side. But the reality is most of what Marvel does is a derivative of DC. Yes. Iron Man is a complete derivative of Batman. Billionaire orphan kid, no superpowers, uses his t- uses his brain. In, in Batman's case, it's to be a detective, and in Tony Stark's case, it's science to turn himself into a superhero in order to work out his psychosis. Right? Yeah. That's pretty much the pretty Batman much. story. That's pretty much the Tony Stark and, and Bruce Wayne story. And so to to have the the passcode for the Batcave be Iron Man sucks as a way of taking a shot at the fact that hey, you kind of you you're kind of coasting off of my storyline. That gives you an idea, Mike, does it not? Just the overall tone and tenor of the film. Absolutely. That and the opening segment, I mean, I just, I laughed throughout the whole credit scene. It was just fun. I, I just, I, it's it's a great movie. It's a lot of fun. The, the voice talent is really good. Does this, where's this franchise going next? Do we know? Yeah. Ninjago. Yeah, I don't know about that. Uh, oh, yeah. oh, well. Yeah. I'm, I'm not in line for that one. Well, you're not. Um, but when my 10-year-old son saw Ninjago Lego movie, he was ready to be raptured. I mean, to get a, to get a trailer <laughs> for Ninjago Lego the movie while seeing Batman, life simply doesn't get any better than that. Dad, you can have the rest of my pop. I'm, right. I'm, I'm out of here. I'm done here, Dad. I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm finished now. See, I'm off the planet. You just—it seems like they're going to have to work a lot harder for that to be pop culture fun and relevant. Well, yeah, that, that, that's a more limited audience, obviously. I mean, well, that, 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 that's a movie they don't think is going to make three hundred. That's million what I'm wondering. Right? Why do you yeah. want to go more niche? I don't think there's a lot of money being spent in the production. No. I mean, you can see this is the stop motion animation that when we were kids, we were wondering, why are the California Raisins winning all these awards for this crappy animation? That's what these movies are. Yeah. You know, and, and so I don't know how much, I'm, but but I'm sure the production cost is nothing like a Pixar film, but it's also, it takes a long time to, to, right. to, to make that stop, you know, motion animation work. Uh, I love what they did with the uh, Barbara Gordon character in the film. What I really like about the movie is they play on lots of cultural stereotypes on the right and the left very cleverly. 
and 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 no one's ox escapes the gourd. It's just an exceedingly. It, frankly, it's like they got three or it's like they got four of the best writers from different political backgrounds. Put them in a room and they said, just insult everybody you want to insult, but make it okay for a nine-year-old to watch. And that's pretty much what this movie is. And make it funny. And that's what it is. Very funny. How many mushroom clouds? I'm gonna give it four. I'm with you. More in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. No other show sounds like him, because no other show would dare. This is Steve Dace. So Mike, Woody, and I both agree the Lego Batman movie is tremendous. I'd agree with him. I'd give it four mushroom clouds. I'm going to have to go re-see it now. Something must be wrong. I, I, I'm, I'm going to go see it again. I, maybe not this weekend, but at some point, uh, Noah and I will go see it again. And if you haven't seen it, get out and see it this weekend. What is new on demand? Uh, you know what? It's a it's a pretty good week for on demand. Um, Arrival. Did you you saw Arrival? I did see Arrival. That was one of the best movies I saw last year. Yes, it's a great, absolutely film. worthy of uh, a best picture nomination. How did Amy Adams not get an Oscar nomination? It's just it's horrible. Well, you know I'm a, I'm a fan of hers. You know that I like her. Um, yeah. I've liked her ever since Enchanted. I think she's great. The other movie that came out this week is Edge of Seventeen. Now this is kind of a 2016 version of a John Hughes film. So it's going to have a little raunch and it's going to have a but it's ultimately about a high school girl who doesn't fit in and then her best friend starts dating her brother and that just completely ruins her life and she just it's really good very Did well they forget written. her 16th birthday again no okay now long duck dong is not in the film either. well then i'm out but you know who is in the if film? there's no if the donger is not present <laughs> neither am i woody harrelson as a general rule woody harrelson has never been better than he's he is wearing in this red movie. pants and I have tan seen trousers it. I love that movie. <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he gets it. Uh, John Cusack in the headgear, standing yeah. off on the side at yeah. the school dance. It's a classic. It that is movie is an film. absolute classic. Kim, you said you've. I've seen the trailers, and I think Woody looks amazing in it. Yeah, it's 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 one of those movies that I if I tell people to go see it and they do it, they're like, oh man, I'm so glad you told because that is a great movie. Right. So, uh, there's another movie coming out and it or came out. It was in town for a few weeks. I never got to it. Called Bleed for this, based on a true story of a boxer got in a car crash and was told he could never get in the ring again. And oh, I saw that. Yeah. And it was the preview. it's the kid from Whiplash, right. who's extremely talented. So, um, that's interesting. And then the other one that comes out this week is Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk. Which my wife said the book was fabulous. I think it's an Ang Lee film. Yeah, and is it this was, any good? And it was I. I never saw it. It was in town for like a week. It just got trashed. Hmm. And it was supposed to be, you know, one of those. Oh, this is going to be a Best Picture nominee. And I'm telling you, like, nobody went to see it. All right. So what's on the horizon for new releases? When we talk to you again here in a few weeks, if we allow you to come back or you choose to. And what week we're am gonna, I coming back? We're going to be talking last. Well, actually, it'll be first Friday in March. Okay. So by then, what will have come out? Well, uh, what will have come out? Uh, nothing. 
No movies but are coming out for well, the next two two and a half weeks. Not really. Nothing. That's why I'm sitting at my office today, going, I can, when, when do I get a good movie? That that day that we do the show, uh, Logan comes out, which okay. is the, the new Wolverine. The last looks, Wolverine, apparently. Looks really good. The Shack. I don't know anything about The Shack, but it looks kind of funky. We'll talk about that later. I'll tell you about it. It's a okay. heresy. And then, for some reason, T2 Train Spotting. Did we need a sequel to Train Spotting? What's this? What's the subtitle? The Overdose? Uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Mike, we'll see you in a few weeks. All right, guys. The Day Group Roundtable is next. You're listening to Steve Dace. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker. That is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings back with Hour 2 here of the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Tonight is the end, Jim Morrison. Our last show here on Salem. This is the last time you'll ever hear the Dace Group Roundtable. I shouldn't say ever. I mean, you never know. You could come back. I mean, this is the second time I've been on the Salem Radio Network, so you never know how the future turns out. But at least for the foreseeable future, this is the final time you will hear the Dace Group Roundtable on a Friday night. So if you want to hear it on Fridays, but earlier in the day, beginning on February the 27th, make sure you go to CRTV.com. Get your promo code DACE discounted subscription today. That's D-E-A-C-E. Promo code DACE at CRTV.com. For the new Steve Dace show beginning on February 27th. It's time for the Dace Group. Your weekly look at the week that was here on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review, with a tip of the cap to the late, great John McLaughlin, whose show this is an homage to each and every week. Let's get to issue one. What in the Sam Hill is going on here? Let's take a look back on the disastrous week that was for the Trump administration. On Monday, after a long, drawn-out, embarrassing investigation over alleged ties to Russia during and after the 2016 campaign, Trump's national security advisor, Mike Flynn, resigned. His 24-day tenure as national security advisor was the shortest in the 63-year history of the office. After initially denying that he had asked for Flynn's resignation, Trump later admitted that he did indeed ask for the retired general to resign. On Wednesday, Donald Trump had a meeting with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, which was going well until Trump said this. As with any successful negotiation, both sides will have to make compromises. You know that, right? Then Trump's pick for Labor Secretary, Andrew Puzder, withdrew his nomination after lagging support for his confirmation in the Senate. And then on Thursday, there was the most Trumpian press conference ever after he announced his new pick for Labor Secretary. Tomorrow they will say, Donald Trump rants and raves at the press. I'm not ranting and raving. I'm just telling you, you know, you're dishonest people. But, but, I'm not ranting and raving. I love this. I'm having a good time doing it. But tomorrow the headlines are going to be... Donald Trump rants and... I'm not ranting and raving. 
All the while, numerous reports came out of the White House that Chief Strategist Steve Bannon and Chief of Staff Reince Priebus were fighting and other inconsequential but negative reports. This thing has got to turn around soon. Can the American people deal with four years of this pace? Four years of this. Can they deal with that, Kim? It's been painful, hasn't it? I mean, I heard the interview with you guys and, and Shapiro, and he was basically like, I'm exhausted with this. But you have to realize that the, you know, most of us aren't, most people are not paying attention to this, right? Good point. Most people are not. They only pay attention during election time. Tragically true. And yes. what, what they want to know is, what are you going to do for me? Are you going to lift some of those economic burdens that actually put Trump into the, into the White House? Are you actually going to do what you said you're going to do? And I think that's where um, people could handle it. It for four years, um, he has to deliver. Um, one of the things he did do was um, he repealed a regulation that the coal industry is excited about. Kentucky, West Virginia senators were all around there for that. So there are these steps that um, are going in the right direction with regard to the economy. Yeah. Todd, I th- more than we might think, I think they can handle a certain pace because this that's the deal they know they made uh, with Trump. They understand the environment. So in in terms of... That's the, the deal cra- some of them made. Yeah, well... 20, about 23% of them. The craziness, the coarseness. Yeah, what they need is in their own lives, when they see those pictures of uh, Trump's various buildings, you know, gilded in gold... As long as they see a little bit of that more and more drip by drip in their own lives, they'll put up with a lot of crazy. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not so sure that they. I mean, the ones who are paying attention know they're not going to be able. To, I mean, they're, if you're if you're investing and you're going with every mood swing and uh, every uh, just a swing in, in what's happening from week to week with the Trump administration, nobody's going to be able to make it through that. But uh, if you're just the American uh, public at large, yeah, Kim, you're absolutely right. I, I don't think most of them are actually paying that close of attention so long as the trains run on time. And uh, I think where we can get into trouble is if nothing is done on Obamacare, which was a central promise of the campaign. And uh, of course, that, that I mean, reports are mixed as to what's happening there. So that's I think that's maybe the first um, the first inside thing that you want to pay attention. So to. we did two shows this week about how we can't keep up at this pace, and now you guys are telling me they can do whatever they want. Kim, and, no, no, and no, that's not. No, 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 no. Anything else they can do? It, no, the opposite no. of what we said. They need return on investment. Yes. To go to this dinner dinner theater where it's a circus, they need a nice steak and dinner with that. If all they're getting is a lollipop, no, no, no. But we that's what has – you're right. Congress is not doing anything. Trump this week apparently is not doing anything. So, But in terms of the, the pace of the chaotic energy – that people can put up with, but they need so, a meal to go along with. See, I don't think he can keep this up. He's 70 some odd years old. Uh, he's about 70 years old. There's already signs of boredom. Already That's signs a different of a story. Lack of focus. If he can k- keep up, and, with and it, I, yeah. I, I think it's pretty clear he can't. He could not. He cannot keep up this pace. I agree with you guys that there has to be some level of governing. And for the last two weeks, in fact, let me narrow it down even further. Since Neil Gorsuch walked off the stage, all right, yeah, in, 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 at the White House uh, about, what was that now, 14 days or, or 12 days ago? Since Neil Gorsuch walked off the stage 12 days ago, exactly what governing has gone on, right? 
I'm, I'm asking. I don't know. I, 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 I am involved. I am, I am informed. It's my job to be. I don't know what they're doing. I, I don't know what they have done and remember other that, than talk Russia, that, Mike Flynn, and the media for the last 12 days. And, and when you do it with his dominant personality, it felt like it was 12 months. And yeah, Gorsuch was the last major thing that happened positively for the uh, Trump administration. But remember, his announcement, Gorsuch's announcement was moved up two days because they were trying to get over the botched rollout of the immigration executive exactly. order. That is yep. true. But let's say he does 50% of the things we'd like them to do and accomplishes maybe half of that. I think we'd all more or less agree that then, other than the usual suspects in the media, we, we won't care about tweeting, craziness, whatever binges he's on. If, if he's actually going after something and accomplishing something, then so, we're so, not going to so, be worried about the well, extraneous I, stuff. I've, I've said that all along. I think that people, and I even wrote that in a column this week, I think people have shown by electing him in the first place. Um, especially when their alternative was a third term of Obama with crooked Hillary, mm-hmm. they'll give him they'll they'll give him some rope. Uh, but after a while, they give you enough rope to hang yourself with it. And and so, in the last twelve days, what has gone on? What 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 has gone on? I mean, they tripped over their own message on the immigration enforcement that they did last weekend. That's gone. That's totally gone by the wayside. Now now I do think yesterday's press conference, which was an unmitigated, unhinged, unpresidential disaster. Uh, and for for the human species, politically worked for him, uh, and the reason why is because uh, it's what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. The reason he keeps picking fights with the press is they're less trusted and less popular than he is, and they will and they will dutifully show up to take their forty lashes every time. But 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 that to me is a reset. Okay, that's that's like a coach in basketball when the other team scores eight in a row, you call a timeout, you draw up a play to make sure you get an easy basket, and you do. You're still down by six points, all right? So they still ran off eight in a row, but you're not you're not ahead. You you have stalled their momentum. So I, I think he can do th- that. I think he can do for four years. I think whenever he needs to go, Mark Gray slump buster. I think he can just rattle his zipper and the media will come up, come a call and and because they're irrevocable. We'll talk about this later this hour. They are irrevocably broken. So they're gonna they're gonna fall for it, uh, including a story we're gonna talk about later that they fell for this morning. They're gonna do that. And so every time he's got that he's got that in his he's got that club in his bag. Anytime he needs a big shot when he's behind and the course is going against him, he can pull out that club and club them with it, and that will. All their, the momentum against him, but it will not sustain his own momentum. He has to govern to sustain his own momentum. Yeah, that's why it's so hard to answer your question, though, with any long-term alacrity. What You summed it up perfectly. What he did was simultaneously a disaster and politically effective. You know, mm-hmm. we're, that's every day we're trying to figure out and read those people, tea leaves. People may ask, how is it simultaneously a disaster and politically, uh, politically um, expedient? Well, because there's two Americas right now. I mean, there's an America that's right. rooting for him and an America that's not. The America that is rooting for him, one of the reasons they're rooting for him is because they hate all the people sitting in that room. And so the enemy, my enemy, becomes my friend. Yeah. The immediate, and, 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 the, and the country that's not rooting for him, which is not just progressive snowflakes in the streets, but a lot of average Americans, they were completely disturbed by that. Just, but right now, he doesn't have to face them right now. He does have to face the people that he needs right now. Exit question, grade the week in Trump. Kim? D minus. D. D. F, again. F, again, because it should have been better than last week, and it was not. They made almost all the same mistakes. F again. Issue two when we come back. You're listening to Steve Dace.
All right, back here on the Dace Group Roundtable, your weekly look at the week that was powered by Conservative Review. One more time here on the Salem Radio Network. Let's get to issue two. Journalism is magical and not at all broken. It's been over three months since the election and subsequent breathless reporting on the part of the media about so-called fake news being the main culprit of why the Republicans won. So what have journalists around the country taken to doing? Sean Davis from The Federalist had a poignant look at the new fake news. He writes, After spending weeks post-election complaining about the rise of so-called fake news and the attributing Hillary Clinton's loss to its proliferation, a large number of members of the esteemed Fourth Estate decided that what America needed wasn't less fake news, but a different kind of fake news. The kind of fake news that confirms their own biases and calls into question the credibility of those they oppose. Take, for example, a detailed salacious Politico report about Wall Street banker Steven Mnuchin, President Donald Trump's nominee for Treasury Secretary. According to the Politico report, which was quickly gobbled up and redistributed by every major media outlet on earth, Mnuchin foreclosed on the home of a 90-year-old widow over a 27-cent debt. Pretty horrifying, right? It would be if it were actually true. According to Ted Frank, a seasoned litigator who runs the Center for Class Action Fairness, the whole whole thing is bogus. Not only did Mnuchin's company not have anything to do with the litigation against the woman, her home was never foreclosed on either. The suit that was filed against her was based on a faulty paperwork by the mortgage servicer and quickly dismissed, at which point the bank that was involved put an offer on the table to pay for her troubles. In short, the news was completely fake, but that didn't stop CNN, MSNBC, CBS, Vanity Fair, New York Magazine, Huffington Post, and many others from spreading the fake news as far as the eye could see. Now that's just one example from Sean Davis's piece at The Federalist. He goes on to point out other examples of the new fake news, like the report Don Donald Trump removed a bust of Martin Luther King Jr. from the Oval Office after he moved in. That story, of course, wasn't real. The reporter who broke the story didn't see the bust of MLK Jr., so he assumed it had been removed. On and on the examples go, with no indication the media will be held to account anytime soon. Todd, at this point, is it, is it clear that this industry just has no interest at all? In preserving its own credibility. I mean, are we, to, are we to draw any other conclusion whatsoever that they just, as it uh, systemically, as an industry? I mean, there's always 7,000 people in Israel haven't taken the need to bail yet, right? There's always a remnant of people who want to do the right thing, but for the most part. And, and this goes both sides. I mean, Jim Hoft is a total whack job, crackpot, fake news hoaxer on the right who's who's getting, you know, White House press credentials, okay? So uh, is, is, there, is there just systemically, as our industry, there's people just, not enough people really care about their credibility, so who cares? Well, Let's just talk about the mainstream aspect of things. Many of them, Steve, really think they are. Yesterday, there were three... Uh, fawning columns written by different entities that were versions of Obama's We Are the People We've Been Waiting For. It was, go journalists, this is our time. This is why we were made. This is why we got into it. This is like on the... Uh, As most, opposed to why do we do our damn jobs uh, right, the last eight right. years? Emotional, yeah, on the emotional and... While psych- 27 of you were going to work in the Obama White House? Exa- exactly. Emotionally and psychologically, though, these people are like that, that first love that all of us have had, and we just don't know how life you know that level of false meaning that we're consumed by that's what journalists many of them are just hacks and they are open and honest if you really corner them on yeah absolutely right i'm manipulating this for my own person but many of this they think this is what they were created to they think they are the truest form of journalists kim 
Oh my goodness, that sounds like worship. Obviously, worship it itself. Is. Yeah. Um, you remember how after the election they went through this moment, uh, just this fleeting moment of trying to do some kind of reflection on how this happened and did they contribute to this election? And it passed quickly, and now they are doubling down. And they think they're credible. Um, I was listening to an NPR reporter say basically equated Donald Trump to the president of Turkey and the president of the Philippines, who has killed like 6,000 people in the last six months. I mean, that's the kind of thing that they're doing. And there's no way that they see that they're not credible. I mean, they are doubling down on it. Aaron, you ever hear uh, phrases like there's something in the water in the Potomac or there's something rotten in the air in Washington, D.C.? I mean, we've, we've, we've made fun of that at all, at, at, you know, all, all the time. It seems like once people go there, good men go there and they turn bad and they turn corrupt and they turn crazy. I think this, I, I see the same thing with some of my peers that I went to school with who will go into the media as well. There's something about the air that once they get in there, and I, I follow them still on, on social media and things like that, there's something in the air that just makes them feel like they're some sort of, I don't know, some sort of martyr for society, some sort of romantic, um, even if I, I know some people who are just behind the scenes, but they still post things that make themselves look so romantic. Try working with them try for 12 Try working years. with them. I, this is from the outside looking in at some of, yeah, I mean, just uh, my, uh, you know, this, these are people who didn't go to uh, public universities and things like that. There is something fundamentally uh, just rotten about the whole concept, I think, of why people get into media nowadays. Explain this, then, to people who aren't in our industry, who are listening to this, and and are, are having a hard time understanding, okay, you have an ideological bias. Okay, you don't like Donald Trump. You're not unique. Neither is about 65 to 70% of the American people, okay? So, I mean, okay, don't you have pride in your work? I mean, don't don't you? Why do you do you enjoy getting your pants pulled down? Do you do you enjoy having being exposed? I mean, the story that AP fell for this morning, I could see it a mile away. I could see it a mile away. A day after hashtag a day without immigrants. A day after he goes and he walks impromptu in an unscheduled press conference. It wasn't. I mean, he he called it in order to beat them up. He walks in there, clubs them, and the next day the AP comes out with this memo: they're going to deploy the National Guard to detain illegals. You could see this is a troll a mile away. They of course they leaked this just so they could get the AP to run with it because they knew it would be their confirmation bias, and they could then say fake news. You guys are making this all up again. You watch this all play out. I mean, the, the Trump administration could come out with a memo tomorrow, leak it to somebody in the press that they're going to intern illegal aliens with space aliens at Hangar 18, guys, and it's going to be breaking news on on all the cable networks, and 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 yet. A lot of people in our audience don't understand why they don't even care about their own professionalism, bias, uh, bias aside. Why, why, do they, why do they enjoy getting hammered? Why, why, why do they enjoy getting embarrassed? That's the part a lot of people, guys, just don't understand. Well, they, they think they're part of a war. This isn't just a job for them. This is existential. This is the, I mean, like we talked about with uh, liberals, Democrats, you know, that this is their faith. And, and so they're willing to take on a certain level of, you know, psychological and emotional casualties along the lines you're talking about because they think they're part of a, this a, is, they're, a they're, righteous this crusade. This is their stigmata? This is their scourging? They're, that's they're, not a bad analogy. Is that, is, yes. that, is that what they think they're doing here? They think they're suffering for some greater cause? Yes. 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 Shoot me. Exit question. Can Trump sustain his entire presidency on how much America hates the media, Kim? You know, it's 
at times actually kind of delicious to watch it. I mean, I, I have to admit, I love a good SmackDown, but um, no, he can't. Um, he has to deliver, like we talked about before. Not the way you worded it, but the wording is important. Yes, he can. He can sustain his entire presidency on how much the media hates America. I, that's I, what he that's, can do. That, that's an interesting turn of a, uh, turn of a phrase. I, Aaron? I, I, th- I think I would uh, closer, uh, more closely agree with Todd's phrasing. But so far, I mean... Uh, until until the trains don't run on time, he will be able to su- sustain it. The answer is I agree with Kim. Uh, in the end, people want good government. Most people aren't in his cult. Most people don't aren't into the agenda of the progressive propagandist in the media. But I also think Todd raises a point that is worth considering as well. More in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Dace Group Roundtable, your weekly look at the week that was here on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review. Issue three, don't pick a fight with the intelligence community. Who's really to blame with the Mike Flynn debacle? Here's what happened in recent days with Trump's former national security advisor. On February the 8th, Flynn told the Washington Post that he didn't discuss sanctions against Russia with a Russian ambassador. Those claims were widely and quickly debunked. On February 10th, the House Intelligence Committee ratcheted up the pressure on Flynn. On February 13th, crap hit the fan. In the same day, Kellyanne Conway told the media the White House had full confidence in Flynn and excused him for having forgotten that he discussed sanctions with the Russian ambassador. Later in the day, Sean Spicer issued a statement indicating President Trump was re-evaluating the situation. Later still in the day, the Washington Post reported that the Justice Department told the White House that Flynn had so mischaracterized his relations with the Russian officials that he may be vulnerable to blackmail by Moscow. Then around 11 p.m. Monday night, Mike Flynn resigned. But that's not the end of the story. A lone report from anonymous officials circulated widely by the Washington Free Beacon and other conservative outlets indicated, quote-unquote, Obama loyalists have been working for months to take down Flynn due to his knowledge of the vocal criticism of Obama's Iran deal. Whatever the case, it's all a very bad look for the Trump administration. Is Mike Flynn at some level a victim here, or is that just a Trump cult talking point? I ask you, Kim. All I can say is that there's a lot more to the story, and we don't have it yet. Um, I think the tapes will be leaked. I think we're going to know a lot more. Um, and, of course, over the you know this week, I, I watched Snowden, so I'm a little bit of the anti-government, what the heck, everybody's getting. It's an Oliver Stone version of events. It is an Oliver. So, but it was so, also so during the time inc- of Obama. Inc- okay, inc- so granted, some of it is true. I'm sure some you of it is true. You have to admit that. I'm not saying to dismiss it. I'm just saying that there's an inherent handicap whenever you receive information from Oliver Stone. I, I grant That's that. All I'm yeah, okay. I grant that. So, um, you know, the things that are coming up now is the deep state. I mean, what are we talking about? This seems like an Alex Jones thing, doesn't it? And then, you know, you've got Scandal with their... Them, have you seen that TV show, Scandal? They no. have the B613, the CIA operatives behind to protect the office of the presidency. This is like cray-cray stuff that's coming out here. I, I don't know. I never he heard a, the phrase deep state in my life until this week. I'm still not sure I know what it means. Todd, what do you think? Well, yeah, when the our intelligence apparatus from the word go is going after one of their head honchos, 
yeah, on some level, he, he is a victim. That's what's amazing about this whole thing. Like, almost everything everybody is saying on both sides is actually true on some... I mean, it's all true. There is no binary in this at all. It, it is all of it. It, it, he he simultaneously deserves to be gone. It was a fool on multiple levels, as you've diagnosed. Yet, y yes, he he has had it, it, the simple fact of the matter is, even if he was the most squeaky clean, squeak, squeaky clean NSA uh, head ever, and w had his position on Iran or other things, I fully believe that the people at the NSA that went after him would go after that guy. They'd go after the Lord Himself. This is what we have got to get used to. They, the, Obama's uh, bureaucratic apparatus, apparatus has declared war on us, no matter who so, we so are. Why is it there? Well, you've already said I mean, that. If, as only, much. if only somebody was like commander in chief, with wide sweeping authority over the executive branch to hire and fire at will, at whim. Um, uh, with, and, and even if such a person had authoritarian tendencies that we might be concerned he might go too far uh, in, uh, in exercising the winnowing fork. But alas, no such power exists, no such person exists, so I guess poor old Donald Trump Aaron will just have to sit there and take it. All it, ha all it would take, really, would be one day of, like, I don't know, 100 or maybe 150 firings. Just one day. That would put the fear into God in every federal employee at any level. That's what, that, that's what needs to happen, but you're exactly right. Why the heck isn't it happening? Well, here's what needs to happen with Donald Trump. As you've diagnosed before the election even happened, I mean, he is a progressive. He believes a lot of progressive things. He's friends with a lot of progressives. He needs to get to the point, and right quick, and I just don't think psychologically and emotionally he's there yet, where he realizes the level of malice that is coming his way. And he had, the people that he used to mingle with and talk with, those very people... Want him out. They're talking in their circles with. about impeachment. I wouldn't, he, I wouldn't go so far as to say now he's a progressive. I think it's clear over time of this campaign into the presidency, his worldview is evolving into what exactly, I don't know. But, just, but I do agree with you that there are, these have been his associations and his assumptions for many years. You're, I think you're exactly right. And I think he still doesn't understand that there is no assuading these people. That's that it. The only thing he could do to satisfy them is to tomorrow switch political parties. And then this would all go away. And unless he's willing to do that, then these people all have to be fired and they all have to go. I agree with you. I don't think he quite understands that. Exit question on a scale of 1 to 10. How politically damaging was the Flint episode for Trump? Kim? I'm going to say a 10 because there's more information there. 5. I'm going to say a 7. I think the answer is unknown. Unless Kim is right. Then she'll be the number will be right. But if, but if, they, if they hire a good NSA, I think there's the potential this gets forgotten in a few weeks. You're listening to Steve Dace. All right, back here again on the Dace Group Roundtable, your weekly look at the week that was here on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review. Issue four, you will be made to care. On Thursday, the Washington State Supreme Court struck a blow against religious freedom, ruling that a religious Christian florist who wouldn't provide flowers for a wedding between two homosexual men will have to pay over $1,000 for discrimination. Not only did the court refuse to rule against Superior Court Judge Alex Ekstrom's 2015 order that fined Baronel Stutzman $1,001 for refusing to provide flowers for Robert Ingersoll and Kurt Freed, there wasn't one member.
member who dissented. The nine-member court ruled unanimously for the homosexual men. Stutzman, a devout Southern Baptist, had appealed the lower court's verdict, thus putting the state's non-discrimination law before the state's Supreme Court in Olympia for the first time. Justice Cheryl Gordon McLeod wrote for the court, discrimination based on same-sex marriage constitutes discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation, end quote. Gay rights groups in the American Civil Liberties Union, which brought the suit, rejoiced. Sarah Warblow, legal director at the Human Rights Campaign, chortled, quote, this was a reasonable application of state non-discrimination law. It's consistent with the way states and, frankly, the federal government have applied non-discrimination laws across time, end quote. The assault on religious liberty continues. You said one of the men's names is Robert Ingersoll? Yep. <laughs> That's either one hell of an eerie historical coincidence or hell is just trolling you in the open, guys. Do you guys know who Robert Ingersoll was? No. You got a street no. here in your hometown named after him. Now, he was a decorated Civil War veteran, all right? Famous orator in the late 19th century. One of his, one of his uh, tangents that he used to travel the country on is he used to give a speech called The Mistake of Moses. Pointing out that since what Dar- since because what, because of what we know about human origins from Charles Darwin, Moses could not have possibly written the Pentateuch, and therefore, if the opening five books of the Bible are false, then the rest of it is false as well. And he used to openly question that the Hittites never existed, King David never existed. There's no historical evidence for any of this outside of the Bible, so why should we believe it? He he died, I think, in 1898 or 99, so archaeology was just coming into its own at this point. So people hadn't begun actually digging sites over in Israel uh, or Palestine, as it was known back then, where a lot of this history has actually been confirmed since he passed away. But that he became, he, he I mean, huge crowds came to hear his message. He would tell them that the highest value is happiness, total utilitarian. There's no point in any suffering. You should live for pleasure. You should live for happiness. I'm not making any of this up. And and I've 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 met Baronelle. I've interviewed her. I didn't know the gentleman's name Kurt until Reed and Robert Ingersoll. I tell yeah. you I just just this is the first time I've heard the plaintiff's name. So that is that is guys one hell Pun intended. One hell of an, 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 an eerie historical coincidence, oh, or hell is openly trolling us. Do you hear that? Do you hear that sound? It's the sound of laughter. Is that more nefarious laughing Lord nefarious, in the background? Yes. I, I mean, I'm sorry, but my mind blown when you said that name. I, I just, I, it made me stop. So let's get to the first question. What the left has done to this woman should tell the average American exactly what about the rainbow jihad, Todd? Well, let's start with that this decision was unanimous on such a fundamental First Amendment issue. Steve, you and I love uh, Lord of the Rings. Let's go to the Two Towers, the Battle of Helm's Deep. There is a message we need to get through the head right before the battle starts. And I'm not talking about in a personal sense because we are Christians, but in the political sense, Aragorn tells the troops before him, offer them no mercy, for they will offer you none. This is existential. This is civil war. They are coming after everything. We can. We have tried uh, many times over the years to do various versions of meeting them halfway. They want nothing to do with halfway. We need to get that through our heads and fight back because it is total war on this issue. 
Kim, what do you think it tells the average American? Well, you know, it points to the idea that you know, you have all these layers, these um, the hierarchy of victim groups. And um, the Christian is always going to be at the lowest level there. And um, it reminds me of the Women's March where you had um, women of color telling white women that they needed to just shut up. You could come, but you need to be quiet. Or, you know, if you're pro-choice, you can't come. So there's always going to be this hierarchy. Instead of looking, and I want people to, um, like you said, understand that it is a war, but also start feeding, you know, start telling people that, you know, our rights are individual, they're from God, and then kind of flesh that out for people so that you can actually argue against this craziness. Uh, I think what should be uh, learned by every single American, regardless of what you uh, think about um, so-called gay marriage, which is a fictitious term if I ever heard one, uh, what you should learn is that you really don't have any rights in this country anymore. That's it. That, so long, so long as this stuff goes on. You, that you that is any, exactly right. With, can I can rights. I add one sure. one one phrase to I think f- take your 99% statement, maybe an extra one percent. Sure. You have no rights in this country if you run afoul of any of the cherished victim groups. You're out. You have none. I mean, they, 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 if if you run afoul of any of the cherished victim groups, that Constitution, you might as well wipe your backside with it. All right. In fact. It's easy. It, it's cheaper. It's the cheapest toilet paper you'll find. It's not even worth that. I think that's pretty true, don't you guys? No, oh, it's absolutely yes. true. Because look, you—they're telling us right now, the progress, pagan progressives, that you can, from moment to moment, your sexual identity can change, and we must respect that. But this woman, Baronelle, is is documented as being rock solid and consistent, predictable. Her conscience is clear, and that is something that the the, the Supreme Court of the State of Washington is telling us legally and ethically must be spat upon. I'm just telling you, having been involved in these sorts of issues in the past, uh, when it, something like this is unanimous, this is this is it's on purpose. They got together. They wanted to make this kind of a political statement. It's exactly what our state Supreme Court tried to do several years ago when they went this route, route unanimous as well on redefining marriage. They are trying to send a shot across our bow. They are intending to redefine what the First Amendment makes or what the First Amendment means. This is a clear provocation. Your, your Helm's Deep analogy, Todd, is right on the money. So exit question on a scale of one to ten, with one being a snowball's chance in hell and ten being metaphysical certitude. How confident are you the Trump administration is going to truly champion religious liberty, Kim? Two. Three. Four. Wow, I thought I was pessimistic and I'm a five. But I'm pretty much a five on everything because I think... I think Trump's all over the place on pretty much every issue. I think it's a flip of the coin on any given day. You're listening to Steve Dace. Back again here on the Dace Group Roundtable, your weekly look at the week that was, powered by Conservative Review, here on the Salem Radio Network. And now, after taking a look back throughout the course of this hour, we now attempt to gaze forward. It is time to end with predictions. Kim. So last week, I thought that Kellyanne Conway would be the first to leave, you know, and in some attempt to regain her credibility, um, I'm still, it's kind of hanging there, and I can't use the same one. So I'm going to go that um, Steve Bannon 
will be the next to leave. I think, um, you know, the problems in the White House that they are having between him and Priebus, I think that's going to be the next thing. Trump can't can't uh, let him let go. If he lets him go, that whole performance yesterday was about getting his base rallied behind him. If he lets Bannon go, that is he is he is the linchpin of Trump's hardcore hardest core base. He can't Bannon. He, he can move Bannon into a into a basement, but if he if if Bannon is run out of there. His presidency's toast. Well, at some, and I'm not saying that as a right. Bannon fan. Just the reality of the those are his P1 listeners. See, it's, it, it, getting rid of Bannon, it would be like me coming on the air and denying the Trinity. Or you know what I'm saying? I do. It's a it's it's a it's a betrayal of my of the of the most loyal base of people that I have. It's a place he just simply cannot go. See, at some point, I think that Donald Trump is going to need to embrace. Um, the progressives. He's not going to be able to handle okay. this kind of level of fighting. He's going to want to be adored more. I can see that. That I can see. Yeah. Do, do I think Trump is arrogant enough to believe that he could just completely change bases in the middle of a presidency? Yeah. Would it work? No. Absolutely not. Todd? Perhaps this should be obvious, but Trump's Justice Department is going to engage here in probably the next year in the largest libel lawsuit in the history of this entire nation. They are going to go after a specific reporter, a specific newspaper, uh, and try to break them to set a standard. Interesting. Not sure I, what I think of that, actually. That's a dangerous precedent to set. I mean, I'm all Welcome for... Welcome to this entire president. I, I, I'm, <laughs> listen, I'm, for, I'm completely for publicly just smearing the hell out of them. I mean, just smattering them with feces publicly, but setting, it's that whole, you know, ain't no fun when the rabbit's got the gun precedent. Now, is that a precedent we want to set for the next time someone we don't, or we agree with, we disagree with even more is in the White House? Be careful about that. But but again, that wouldn't surprise me. Aaron. The Kentucky Wildcats will finish the uh, regular season undefeated, and they will go on to win the NCAA tournament. I wouldn't be surprised by that either. You can see they're kind of coming around a little bit. Mm-hmm. Still a very talented team. I, I think there's literally 25 teams that could win the NCAA tournament this year. Should be a great yes. tournament. Yeah, and, and I think they're as good of a bet as any. So I, I don't think that's a bad prediction at all. I'm when, and, and yes, Aaron understands they've already lost games. He meant he, they're going they're, to they're win out, is what you meant by finish undefeated. What's yeah, the, yes, really quick, yes. what's the lowest seed to ever win? Was it Kansas, number seven? No, it, Villanova won it when they were an eighth seed. An eight. Yeah, in 85 when they have something like that happening again, yeah. yeah. I could see this being a year where that happens. I agree. My prediction, pretty, pretty cut and dried. If Republicans do not repeal Obamacare, they will lose the midterm elections next year, regardless of how favorable the 2018 map is. Hour three is next. Listening to Steve Dace. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Government should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And we are back with our final hour here tonight as we get ready to bid adieu to the Salem Radio Network from the last 15 months. It has been a heck of a lot of fun. 
They've been great to work with, but alas, all good things must come to an end. CRTV, who actually owns our content, is calling us home. So beginning on February the 27th, we will be debuting this show, which you'll be able to watch each and every day, every weekday, I should say, on uh, CRTV, beginning February 27th. We are looking forward to it. Use promo code DACE, D-E-A-C-E, to take advantage of the early bird uh, discounted subscription. Again, CRTV promo code DACE. Now, since this is our last hour, I've made the executive decision to sort of clear out of three questions and some of the other stuff we normally do because um, we have just... Uh, we get too much more feedback to this show than I can respond to uh, on a weekly basis or even on a daily basis. Uh, so I've tried to respond to as many of you individually who we don't have time to get on the air tonight as I could, because I know that some of you aren't going to be able to follow us on CRTV, and I wanted to make sure on this last show we answered as many of you as we possibly could. So I have a collection of uh, some of the more interesting or challenging or provocative feedback uh, or discouraging or encouraging, as the case may be, that we have received these last few weeks. And I thought we would take this last hour of the show and try to respond to as many of our listeners as we possibly could. I want to begin with this note from Ian. He says, I am a health teacher. Liberals will say we are failing to teach good sex education, while many conservatives believe what we're covering is equal to pornography. Shifting to the most recent debate flaring up again, reproductive health care and abortions, my area of concern is with teenagers in my classroom. It seems one conservative problem with birth control is that it takes away any accountability for a teen's actions. I would agree. Accountability is something we all want students to gain a strong sense of and own it. But I also believe the science behind what is going on with the adolescent brain. A teen's risk versus reward equation for everyday decision making constantly puts more weight on the reward. Where is the balance between our medical advancements to protect teens from life changing events and shaking our fingers at them and saying, well, you screwed up, so deal with it. Well, this is a very timely question, Ian, because I have a teenager at home. I also teach a Christian Worldview high school class, and that same teenager of mine is in this class. And if you're going to teach a Christian Worldview class to high schoolers today, it is simply impossible not to address sexuality, because sexuality is at the core of where most of our worldview confrontations are in this culture. And since my teenager talks and thinks a lot like me, with her, I'm not the typical... You know, I don't want to get into this with my daughter because she's just too much like me. So I might be too comfortable at times and too honest with her talking about it. We went to her annual birthday lunch at Red Lobster yesterday, which we've done for 10 years because we're the only two people in the house that like seafood. We get it once a year and we go to Red Lobster for lunch and we had this very conversation while we were there. Okay, so this is a timely question for you to ask. I'm not going to get necessarily into a debate about whether to whether it, it, there should be an abstinence-only education along these lines, whether there should not be any education along these lines, or there should be promotion of birth control education along these lines. And here's why. Because I think it's the wrong debate. Not that I'm against taking stands. I think, though, when we jump to that debate, we've already lost the question. We're already dealing with this strictly on a behavioral construct. The young people, Ian, that you and I are both teaching right now are not the results of natural, random processes. They are human beings. They are imago days. They have souls. They have something the animal kingdom doesn't have. They have a soul. They are eternal beings. 
So there's more going on there. Yes, I was a teenage boy. I've had these conversations with my daughter. She's now 16. She has permission to begin dating. Why did we wait till 16? Because I wanted her to have a driver's license. I didn't want her to be in an unevenly yoked situation. Out in the middle of the, on a date somewhere with a boy who's older than her who can drive and she can't. And, and he's in a dominant position. I didn't want her in that spot. So that's why we say 16. When you can hold your own and defend yourself. And if you need to walk away, you are able to. That's why we chose 16. Um, but when we talk about this, there's more happening here than just don't act out. Or if you do act out, here's a placebo or a Band-Aid or a prophylactic for it. So I think we're having the wrong argument. Instead of addressing which application to suggest to our teenagers, we're not spending that much time laying a foundation. And I've explained to my daughter, hey, here's what teenage boys are like, even the good ones. They are literally machine sperm-making machines. That's literally what they are. And they have urges, desires that they would like to control. In some cases, they don't even know what to do with. That's why they wake up in the middle of the night and I've got to change my sheets. This is the reality. You know, they're, 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 they are in a... They are they're a factory that is working at 120% of its max output. And, and that energy is going to have to go somewhere. That's the reality of it. And as a young girl, you're better off just knowing this going in rather than pretending that is not the case. Just be honest. That does not absolve him from his responsibility at all. Believe me, I will have those conversations with no when the time comes. But, but your responsibility is to be informed as a woman, as a young woman. What are you dealing with with the opposite sex? There's more there than meets the eye. And the same goes for the other side, dealing with men and young women too. The issue really is, what, why do beyond just the natural earning and craving that is there for a reason, why do I desire to act out this way contrary to the boundaries that people that care about me and love me, not to mention my creator who loves me and cares about me more than anybody else, has said for me. That's the debate to have. It's not as simple as a risk versus reward. That's a transaction. Human beings aren't transactions. They're human beings. Many of us know what the consequences for the bad things we do are before we do them. How often do how often does really knowing the consequences for our bad things truly stop us? Really? Not that often. It's like what Paul says, the law made me sin more. You told me what was right for wrong, so now all I'm thinking about is what's for right for wrong all the time. The good I want to do, I don't. The bad I don't want to do, I do. What a wretch am I who will save me from this? This is not a transactional process. They should be told the risks versus the rewards, but it can't simply end there. Maybe this young woman is, wants to have, has a, beyond her own natural God-given desires, maybe she wants to break through boundaries because at home she's not loved and cherished by her own father the way that she should be. Maybe this young boy want, it turns into essentially what amounts to a teenage sexual predator. Because he's bullied at home by his old man, and this is how he figured. This is how he find, This is how he measures his masculinity, his manhood, his ability to get over. Add another notch on the bedpost. See, these are the things we don't address with them. 
And that's why they're not listening. Because either we tell them, here's where you can get your birth control, here's, how, why, here's, here's where you should practice your abstinence, here's how many new strains of STDs we have created, here's what, here's, if you get pregnant, here's where we can go get rid of the kid. Both sides are just throwing solutions and formulas. Sex is not a formula. It is the most intimate engagement one human being can have with another. You can't be more vulnerable. You can't be more giving of yourself other than laying your own life down than to be sexually engaged with another human being. There is something cosmic happening here. And when we ignore that, we end up in, in the very false debate that you say as a government school teacher, you're stuck in the middle of it. I don't blame you. You're right. You're being given a false choice. You can't win this argument. Why? Because the number one component, all the things you mention are vital to a good sex ed curriculum, man. But the number one thing missing is, who are we? Why are we sexual beings in the first place? Why do we want this connection outside of procreation in the first place? Why is this one of the most powerful drives we have, even if we're not creeps? It still is. Why? That's, that's what's been removed from the equation. When you remove the metaphysical aspect of our sexuality, then you are left with nothing other than the natural processes. And you're left with nothing other than the false choice that you have rightly recognized won't adequately deal with the dilemmas and decisions that these young people have to make, particularly in an era of temptation readily at their fingertips with their phones that no generation has ever had to face before. More in a moment. Listening to Steve Dace. One final time, it's a feedback Friday here on the Steve Dace Show on the Salem Radio Network. This is a good question from Kyle. He writes, I was listening to your interview about the youth pastor who prayed over the injured student at the football game. I think that's awesome. I would totally do that. So I was in full agreement with your conversation. However, the thought hit me, so I wanted to pose it to you as sort of a devil's advocate, literally. I grew up in a small town where most people identified as Christians and we prayed during games. But I know that if someone came to pray over that kid in the name of Allah or Satan, uh, people would lose their minds. What would your honest response be to that? If we are for religious freedom, would we have to be okay with that socially? Well, being okay with something socially is not the same as a government protection of religious freedom. You can be okay or not okay socially with whatever you do or don't want, Kyle, provided you're not imposing on the freedom of somebody else. So if someone came to pray over you in the name of Satan and you wanted to rebuke such a person, you're free to do that. You know what you're not free to do? Impose on their freedoms in the process. But you have every bit as much freedom to be outraged by their stupid little attempt to troll you and instigate you uh, as, uh, as, as you do to exercise your own conscience. What happened in this case is instead of a group of people writing an editorial to the local paper saying, we don't think this has any place in a football game and we believe in a secular utopia and here's why you should as well, they chose to go to government and say, no, restrict the freedoms of the other people. 
That's what occurred here. So let us not conflate what is your individual disposition and conscience with what is the proper role and jurisdiction of government. Those are two totally different things. Well, yeah, and just from the Allah's perspective or Islam perspective, uh, despite our vast differences, do we not uh, believe that Muslims pray to God in good faith and pray for the well-being of their fellow man at times of good faith? I think the answer to that is, of, of course they do. If we're applying it to this specific instance, if, a, if a, a Muslim is praying over you, I think in that circumstance you give people uh, the benefit of the doubt. It, it, goodwill can be found in all men and women. Let's go to this question from Paula in Phoenix. You've asserted that Vice President Pence committed either malfeasance or incompetence in his answer to the question about asking Neil Gorsuch his views on Roe v. Wade. Don't you think the Vice President could have ascertained the judge's views on the abortion issue without specifically mentioning Roe? Perhaps the VP anticipated the very question Stephanopoulos asked and found a way to discern Gorsuch's views on abortion without directly referencing Roe. Maybe he just asked him if he was pro-life, and if so, would he like to see happen to promote the cause or something like that? Paula, can I talk to you just as a woman for a second? Okay. He didn't ask you if you wanted to get married. He asked you your basic, in general, what do you think of marriage as an institution? Do you like it? Do you not like it? Do you believe in it? What do you think of commitment? Are you big into monogamy or you kind of, you like fidelity or infidelity? I mean, what are you, what are you okay with? Just curiosity. I mean, if, what do you think about ever having kids? You know, you want to have kids? I mean, are you interested in it? Okay. Well, why are you asking me all these questions? No, no reason. Just generally curious. What are you doing Friday night? I don't know. Want to go out? Sure. And the next Friday night, and the next Friday night, and the next Friday night. And you, have the, you know where he stands, Kim. But you know what, he, you know what never happens? He, he never, never per- gets married. Yeah, he never personalizes it. Yeah. Okay? So I, I, I'm not sure that's the greatest analogy, but I'm, I was trying to figure out a way to explain what I was trying to say. Trying to ascertain a judge's views on the life issue without directly asking him his view on the court precedent that called the question into question in the first place, to me, is like a significant other that you care about asking generally your views on marriage and children and family and then never asking you to actually marry them. I don't know how you can truly know what someone believes, Kim, unless they're willing to personalize it in their own convictions. You know, and I I did believe that um, Vice President Pence could have had a conversation and not ask it. And I thought he was going to do it to try to be wily so he could be ready for, you know, I don't know. I didn't have to ask that question. You know, ready for the media onslaught. Why? Why? Right? Because no, there, there, he's a coward, you're, you're right, but there's no point to doing that because I, we know the first question he's going to get from, let's go to the ranking member on the Judiciary Committee. What is the very first question he's going to get, guys? Roe v. Wade. Yeah, Wade. It's on camera. Oh, yeah. That's the only thing anybody cares about. I, so it's not as if he was going to escape this vetting because that's originally, I originally thought the same thing, too. He just doesn't want to talk to Stephanopoulos about this. But then I got to thinking, why? I, I mean, he's, that's why it's malfeasance because... He's going to, Gorsuch is going to have to bear his soul on this one way or the other when they start the confirmation hearings next and month. They're going to demand an answer. They and will. don't you want to know 
Don't you need to know what that looks like? This is like when you're, you're uh, some... You mean, don't you want to know what the guy's general well, feelings are about marrying you or general feelings yeah. about marrying well, somebody else? Well, this is else. right now that you were talking about uh, Anna earlier. Whatever dude's coming down the pike to ask her out, this is why that dude's got to be put in a chair with you. And you ask the questions and you want to see how he reacts when you say, this is my daughter. She means everything to me. You treat her with respect. These are my rules. You break any of them. You are going to have problems you can't imagine. I will break you. You want to see how he reacts. <laughs> and if I'm, of course, I don't, I'm not shocked in the least that Pence didn't do that. He's a very weak man. We put, we put yeah, way too much stock weak. in what he's supposed to be doing in this administration. But anybody who genuinely cares about life needs to know how Gorsuch reacts to that question. I just don't know in the end, especially because we, we have a society of people who compartmentalize. We know Gorsuch is compartmentalizing. He goes to some homo-affirming church, whack-job Episcopalian church, right? And yet has sat there every time the religious freedom issue has come up, and he's rendered the right way. So already we know he's capable of compartmentalizing. So no, it's not just enough to say, what are your personal views on life? As a judge, he's not exercising his personal views. He is exercising, in this case, ex. O-R-C-I-S-I-N-G, hopefully, exercising the precedent that begged and drew the question into into priority in the first place, and that is what? This wasn't some question in the, in, in, in the ephemeral. This wasn't some question that just spontaneously combusted. There is a court precedent that begged the question, and that's why you can't truly know where he stands without bringing that up. That's the device that brought the issue to the bear in the first place. I, I know we are trying to find ways... I get it. I do. I do get it because I'm guilty of it, too. I know we don't want to believe the system is a systemically gutless, feckless, ineffective, cowardly. I'm out of adjectives as it truly is. I know that. I know we want to believe that Mike Pence seems to believe what we do, seems sane. So maybe he's really running the show because Trump's nuts. I know we're looking for anchors. I know we're I know. I know we are. They're not there. Well, they're not there but they're there and this is why the bible commands us to pray for our leaders the heart of the king is in the hand of the lord in the end it's not mike pence suddenly growing another uh manly part that we're all relying on that's god and when we pray for our leaders who are we praying to God, which is a reminder that ultimately, if we're praying to God for our leaders, then that is us acknowledging who is ultimately in charge, God. There's more to this exercise than just praying for our leaders to their benefit, but also for ours. More in a moment. to Steve Dace. The Bible and the Constitution don't just apply to Democrats. This is Steve Dace. More of our final show feedback from you in the audience that we've been saving for our last hour tonight. 
Corey writes, I have concern with my boys in sports. I'm a type A when it comes to competing. I feel like I'm obsessing over their sports experience and I'm hurting them in the long run. My two sons are both good in basketball. We practice and work hard together a lot, and they enjoy it. But when it comes to watching them play in an organized game, I I tend to struggle not to live vicariously through them, and I want them to do so well and honestly win. But this has led to being critical of their play and performance after games. Sometimes I even get angry when they don't try or focus. I know this is unfair to them, but I can't help it. It consumes me. Should I just not go to their games? Should I even put them in organized sports? I feel my actions are hurting them. Your thoughts? Do you have any biblical advice? Yes, Corey, because I'm a lot like you. And I had to recognize this up front before I even got into this. It was very wise of God to give me two daughters before a son. Very wise. All right? Because they have softened my heart on multiple magnitudes. I'm a much better father to Noah now than I would have been if he had come first. I'd have been the guy sending this email because I'm a lot like this. Corey, um, what I think you need is your own competitive outlet. First of all, don't say, um, should I pull my kids out of organized sports? Um, should I not go to their games? I understand why you're doing that, but that's a martyr complex. All right? First of all, you go to their games, you're their, you're their dad. That's a false choice. Your choice is to be the adult, man up, and, and not make it about you. So you go to the games because you're the dad. You don't take them out of organized sports, that's punishing them. Unless they don't want to play, then you take them out. But if they want to play... You don't punish them because we as adults don't punish the kids because we can't handle our business, okay? It's our job to handle our business. We're the adults. That being said, props to you for even recognizing this to the point of wanting it to be addressed. So here's my advice. And Todd, you know, I'd be happy to get your take on this as a dude, even though you have daughters, but they're in athletic pursuits, right? So get your own competitive Jones. I need it. I just talked on the show the other night how much I miss playing basketball. You know, so my new competitive Jones is I went out and bought the Rory McIlroy golf game. And so when everybody's in bed and I and, and I can't, I'm too wired up to go to sleep. This is how I get it out of my system. I need something to compete against, to master. And when I master this, I'll go get something else. So, Corey, you know, what's your what's your own workout regimen? Do you have one? If you don't get one, if you do have one up the ante. Set benchmarks for yourself. Compete against yourself. Or get a workout partner that's better than you that'll encourage you to up your up your game. You have like a weekly basketball game with buddies you can play at a rec league or at a Y. Or, you know, when the weather's going to get nice here soon, outside, depending on where you live. But get your own competitive Jones to get it out of your system so you can be the dad they need you to be. That would be my advice, Todd. I can't argue with that, but you also might be too hard on yourself i I can't maybe you have gone too far at times i don't know but you have got to know your own children in totality not just regarding sports what they love what their desires are what their capacities are if if they're just going out to hang out with friends on a rec soccer team you know and and don't particularly love it but like the social aspect like uh, most kids I'm describing many kids with sports, then, yeah, if if you are getting madder about this than they are getting worked up about it, that's an issue. Uh, but I have daughters. They, they love soccer, for example, They and they succeed at a high level. And when they come off the field with their particular frustrations, what I try to, to teach them is about how they maximize. You just worry about you. You maximize your potential 
And then you, you won't be frustrated. You'll surprise yourself that you aren't nearly as frustrated as you are. Help them to focus. It's okay if, if they did not bring it and yet they are still frustrated. It is okay to say, well, listen, we're, we're going to work on that. That's a that's more of a you problem than you think. So the, you, you, you would be forsaking your job as a dad if you just walked away from this. Again, I can't speak to your specific actions, but we have a charge. It's not just up to the coaches and the refs when we sit there and just watch and do whatever you want to. Uh, know your kid. You have to walk. Because these this is a gateway. Sports is a gateway to possibilities and many other walks of life. Help them maximize their potential the right way. I think that's good advice, too. What, what, what are your kids' expectations? Right. And if you're a parent and you notice you have a naturally gifted kid, one of your jobs is to recognize that yes. and to help them at home encourage that. But that's one in a million. Chances are they just want to have fun and do the best they can do. And if those are their expectations, then, you know, as long as they're doing it with honor and dignity and not embarrassing the family, you shouldn't have any higher expectations than that. But I also do think when I when I read your note, it is dripping with the need to compete. Find other avenues in your life, Corey, where you can institute and implement that competition to get it out of your system. More in a moment. Listening to Steve Dace. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. This is Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. More of your final feedback before we bid adieu and head over to CRTV beginning on February 27th. This is from Russell. He says, you talk a lot about political capital and the new environment since Trump, and I have a theory that combines the two. There is a new capital. He says, I call it Trump bucks. It can be used to explain the actions of everyone in the White House and politicians who have figured it out, like maybe Ted Cruz has recently. Doing favorable, favorable things in Trump's eyes earns you Trump bucks which can be spent on influence with him or even on defying him. Bannon turned Breitbart into Trumpbart as soon as Trump announced his candidacy, and he earned major Trump bucks, which he held close to his chest to eventually spend some on becoming a top advisor. Same with Jeff Sessions in his cabinet post. Humiliating yourself on TV for Trump earns bigly Trump bucks. You can see a big difference in that Cruz has figured, out, figured this out, and maybe Rubio hasn't. Cruz has been building up Trump bucks since he blew them all at the convention, and he says that, says that the White House consults with him now every day. Rubio had a small bank of Trump bucks built up before the election with his endorsement, but spent them on a no-win battle over Tillerson, and now has no influence with the White House. What do you think of this new paradigm? Russell, I think in general your paradigm is correct. I don't know that I agree with your application of it totally, but I think you have correctly surmised the situation. The reason I don't completely agree with it is because actually the people who humiliated themselves the most, where's Kaylee, what's her name? The gal I called out on TV. Is it McElhaney or something? There's yeah, McElhaney. so many. Where, where is she? Where's Scotty Hughes? Where's Katrina Pearson? Right. Where where are the people who just be clown themselves until until the pros showed up in and, and, you know, in after the after the convention to save this campaign. But the people that we saw infesting cable television for a year that were attempting to to, to, to use Trump to legitimize their own careers, 
those people, where's Huckabee? Where's Chris Christie? Where's Chris Christie? Where are they? Nowhere to be found. Where's Newt? Now, Newt can still get on TV when he wants to, but he didn't get the Secretary of State job that he wanted. Where's Giuliani? It actually seems, there seems to be, it, in general, you are correct. The one, the one exception of this is it does seem that if you go on TV and just absolutely expose your backside for Trump, he doesn't seem to reward that. All the people that have done that got nothing from Trump. The people we all laughed at for a year, they got nothing. I had a good friend of mine who's on the inside on the Trump team tell me just yesterday that Kellyanne's not on the inside on anything, guys. That's why she was out there getting embarrassed this week on the Flynn thing, where she was claiming he wasn't going to go, and then an hour later, two days in a row, they totally contradicted her. Well, that would seem to fit the M.O., right? Kellyanne's kind of embarrassed herself a couple times trying to defend Trump. It does seem the more you emaciate, self-emulate on television for Trump, the less you get from him. But in all the other aspects of what he's talking about, don't you guys see the, the paradigm seems, does seem to be true, right? Does seem to be true. I, I just, I've heard this story before. It goes, a certain serpent in the garden said, what, what you ate that apple from the tree? No, you're not, you won't die. No, no, you know. Just this like, once. You'll be like gods. It's all cool. That That's what this is. Yeah, this is, I mean, this is... Can, trying, can, don't overthink this is yeah, my point. Exactly. Don't overthink trying, it. Let me, let me put it in a, in a more crass description. Show Trump some leg, give him a kiss, let him round second, maybe slide into third. You can get anything you want out of him. The minute the guy, the minute the guy touches home, see ya, wouldn't want to be ya. The people who went on television, he touched home plate. And he just moved on to the next notch, the next person that caught his eye. The other people, did Jeff Sessions clown himself for Trump? No. He let Trump, you know, he rounded second. Maybe Trump got a ground rule double. Stopped there. He's attorney general, guys. Rudy Giuliani, though, he was prostrate over home plate. I'm here. I'm here to be used. Where's he at? He's doing Sunday nights with Gene Pirro at 10, 10 o'clock. That's what he's doing, guys. Newt Gingrich, man. Thank you, sir. May I have another, man? Where's he at? I don't know where he is. Do you guys know where he is? No. Not working. In, he's not making White House policy. He's not doing that. So it's what, what Russell's communicating is true to a point. But it does seem as if if you it, it, see, Trump is the classic guy that your mom was warned you about, ladies. He ain't going to buy the cow if you give him the milk for free. Everybody that gave him the milk, did he buy the cow? Does anybody know where Scotty Hughes is at right now? Do you know? It was like CNN presents Scotty Hughes every day, every segment, I every do, hour. I do know that Chris Christie is probably at the White House right now being force-fed meatloaf. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I, the humiliation of Chris Christie will continue until morale improves, indeed. That was an unbelievable story. There is this weird Trump sweet spot, though. You have to sell out, but not too much. Yes. You have to show me you're interested in me, but the minute that you let me have my way with you, I'm out. I move on. That's it, that to me. That's the pattern that you actually. I don't see. want that to be true. Tell me it's not. Give me an example that shows it's not. Give me an example that shows it because I can't. It, it does seem to be true, guys. He's on his third wife. He's on his second trophy wife, guys. There, there seems to be a pattern here. Okay, 
If he gets from you what he ultimately wants, you're of no use to him anymore. You're of use to him, provided you, and there's Jeff Sessions, wily old veteran. I'll give you an endorsement. I'll help you move my state. Jeff Sessions was nowhere to be found publicly the whole presidential election. Did you ever see him on camera the whole time? Never. Now he's got the most powerful job in the administration other than the presidency itself, arguably. Did you hear the name General Mattis the entire time during the campaign? Never once. So if Sessions doesn't have the most powerful job in the administration other than president, Mattis does. See my point? Rex Tellerson. You ever heard his name before? You ever heard the name of Rex Tellerson in your life until three months ago? So if Mattis doesn't have the most powerful job in the administration other than Trump and Sessions doesn't have it, Tillerson does. See my point? Say nice things for me, I'm in. If you let me do nice things to you, I'm, 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 I'm bored. I'm out. Well, even though Trump had a fairly successful one and a half weeks in keeping up with his promises, as we talked about, what you're saying does not bode well for what Trump cult is going to get down the road. Why do you think I told everybody got hired? Make sure you have your resumes updated, okay? Yeah. He knows you, he, that, that's the other reason. He knows, he, he knows if, he, if all you want out of Trump is to embarrass the media, that's all you'll get out of him. If all you want out of Trump is the Johnson Amendment, that's all you'll get out of him. He will give you whatever he thinks he needs to give you to get from you what he wants. If it's dinner at, 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 at Applebee's, that's what he'll get you. If it's dinner at a, at, at, at a five-star, that's what you'll get. If it's a wedding ring, that's what you'll get. You'll get from Trump what you ask of him if he wants something from you. You're listening to Steve Dace. You don't have to have all the answers, but you do have to know where to find them. The Steve Dace Show. I've got one more piece of feedback I want to share because I think it's a good summation of what we've tried to do the last 15 months and why we've done it. Todd Abshear writes, I'm in awe of you and your team's ability to teach a biblical worldview, theology, and philosophy. I have learned more in these last 15 months about the Bible, the theology of it, uh, listening to your show, than I did my entire private Christian education from kindergarten to high school and church on Sunday. And Sunday school every Sunday. I listen to y'all and I kick myself wondering if I squandered an opportunity I was graciously afforded, graciously afforded, or if I was just never taught it. Todd, that's why we're doing this. One of my favorite stories in the scriptures is about a priest who goes in to clean the temple one day. Just a routine cleaning. Starts moving. He's got this altar to this demon over here and this altar to this pagan false god over here. He's moving things around. You know, the place needs tidying up. He sees this scroll gathering moss and dust off in the dimly lit corner. And he goes over, this guy's name's Hilkiah, and he goes over and he grabs it. He's like, what is this? And he unrolls it and starts reading it. Thou shalt not commit murder. Uh, thou will love the Lord thy God with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind. Um, he just starts reading this, and he's like, I, I've heard this before. I'm a priest. I'm supposed to know this. These are the words of Moses. This is the law. And he takes it to his king. And he shows him this part in the law where Moses writes, I have set before you blessing and cursing, life and death. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live in the land. Meaning if you obey God's law, he will provide you protection, provision, all of your needs. If you disobey it, though, he will not. 
and this king Josiah, who might have been the last great king of Israel, leads a massive revival and repentance of the people to go back to following God's word. I think this is very emblematic of the day and age that we live in today. Our traditions, our values, our ideals that made us who we are as a people. This is what Chesterton meant when he said we're the only country ever founded on a creed. He meant these things. They are there in a corner. They didn't go away. We just, we, we, we put the internet in there and Wi-Fi and our favorite sports teams and our, and our musical accounts and our, and our Netflixes and our Foxes and our MSNBC are all cluttering up the temple in our mind. But if we look hard enough, if we move some things around, that thing that makes us uniquely American in our DNA, which is the only country ever founded on a creed, creeds that came from where? The word of God. That is still there. And that's what we've tried to do on this show. Let the lion out of its cage. And I want to thank Salem for giving us a chance to do that for the last 15 months. All of you that took part. I don't want to thank you too much, though, because i got to look at your mugs here in another week or so when we start on CRTV. I'm looking at my own team when I say that, listeners, not you. Hopefully you can join us on CRTV. Stay connected with us via social media. It's been an honor to be here with you every weeknight the last 15 months. John 317. You're listening to Steve Dace. 